Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 24. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 24. We are on our final message of the Gospel Record of Luke. We've gone through chapter after chapter, walking through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have witnessed as Jesus Christ was arrested, put on a false trial, scourged and crucified, put in a borrowed tomb, and then on the third day he rose again. And throughout the gospel record of Luke chapter number 24, everyone is having a difficult time believing that Jesus Christ did what he said he was going to do. Jesus told them over and over that he was going to rise again. And over and over the people have had doubts. People have disbelieved. And we have covered the reason why they disbelieved. Jesus accused them because of hardness of hearts. What is hardness of hearts? Hardness of hearts comes from some disobedience that you have towards God's word that begins to callous your heart and make it a little bit more hardened, more hardened, more hardened, until you are at the place where you're no longer believing God and his word. Well, we pick it up at the last segment of the gospel record of Luke chapter 24. And notice with me starting at verse number 36. The gospel record of Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. Remember, we ended with the two men on the road to Aramaeus when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ walking with them. And he opened up their eyes and they realized it was him. And they rushed back from Aramaeus in the middle of the night to go back to Jerusalem so they could tell everyone that they had sold Jesus. And in verse number, um, <coughs> excuse me, verse number 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself spoke in the midst of them and said unto them, be ye uh, let's pick it up in verse 33 if you don't mind. And they arose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. And as they had thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he did take it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I were yet 
while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem and ye are witnesses of these things and behold I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far to Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he had blessed them he parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Luke in chapter 24? The Gospel record of Luke chapter 24, and notice with me in verse number 45. The Gospel record of Luke 24 and verse 45, notice this, that he opened their understanding. Then opened he their understanding. And with the Lord's help, we want to see the different places where he opened their understanding. He opened their understanding. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, Lord, I'm asking that you would help us now. What a powerful phrase that this is, that you opened up their understanding. And we know that that is something through your precious Holy Spirit that you're able to do for us. That you're able to open up our understanding in many different ways. I'm asking that we would take this passage and learn some of the ways that you could open our understanding. And that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from out of thy law. That we may see you high, holy, and lifted up. And that it would be so good that we come out of here saying, what a great God. What a great God. I'm asking that you would glorify and uplift your own name. Give me strength beyond what I have. Give me grace beyond measure for your word's sake and for your work's sake. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a phrase that needs to be put in our mind that something that God through his Holy Spirit is able to do to open up our understanding. There are many times within the Christian life that we could say, I just don't understand. Maybe you're reading through the Bible and say, I just don't understand. Maybe there's some area of the ministry I just don't understand. Maybe there's a situation or something comes up I just don't understand. But you know, God is able to open up our eyes that's a great prayer request. You know, sometimes we have not because we ask not. It's much easier to complain and say, why, 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 than take the time to pray. God, open up my eyes that I may understand. Open up my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in thy law. Open my understanding. 
Now, if you don't mind, we're going to see three different areas here where the Lord Jesus Christ opened up the understanding of his followers, the disciples, so that they can understand even more. The first area where he gave them understanding is that he opened up their understanding concerning the truth of the resurrection. He opened their understanding concerning the truth of of the resurrection. Now this leads in from the gospel record of Luke 24 where the gospel writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is placing a great emphasis that these people didn't believe and these people didn't believe and these people didn't believe and these people didn't believe. Even when people said angels spoke to me and they said he is not here, he is risen. They still wouldn't believe. When people were hearing the stories of the ladies and they're walking in the streets talking among themselves. They're still kicking the ground and kicking at the rocks and saying everything's horrible. But I thought you heard that Jesus rose again. I know. We just don't know if we believe it or not. They were all having a difficult time. The 11 are locked in a room right now talking amongst themselves saying we don't believe. We don't believe. The gospel record of John covers this uh, discussion in a lot more detail. So much so that the 11 are in this middle of the discussion when these two witnesses, these two disciples came from Aramaeus. Now remember, they had walked all day to Aramaeus, got to Aramaeus, had lunch, supper with Jesus, it was already dark, and they ran those miles back to to uh, Jerusalem just to tell the 11. And so they come knocking on the door. We just got through talking about Jesus. I mean, so they had the women tell them that Jesus rose. Simon ran out there. John ran out there. They came back shrugging their shoulders and say, well, the tomb's empty. So what? They still didn't believe. And now these two people coming in. We just saw Jesus. We just had lunch with him. We, they were just excited about it. In fact, pick it back up in verse number 33. And they, those two disciples in Aramaeus, rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord hath risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Man, we had this encounter with Jesus. We didn't know it was Jesus. We were complaining. And then he preached a message and our hearts burned. And he just took the Bible. Then we got there. We still didn't know it was him until he started eating with us. And then we saw it was Jesus and he disappeared. And oh, it was amazing. Jesus is there. Now this wasn't a boring conversation. They're excited. They ran all this time just to tell them. Good. And now, as they're talking to him, verse number 36, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and said, saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now, this is a big deal because of where they're at. They're in the upper room, which they have now made their home base. Remember, we had talked about that miracle that the, this room was made available on the busiest day when everything is booked out and, and they have this and now they're just continuing to reserve the room. This man's allowing them to have it. And because they're afraid of the soldiers, the door is locked. And so when they're telling the story and all of a sudden Jesus says, Hey guys, how are you doing? They all turned around and how did he get here in a locked door? 
Their first idea was, verse 37, but they were terrified and affright, supposed that they had seen a spirit. This must be a ghost. I meant the door was locked and now he's here. Uh, Jesus has died. We all saw him die. It, he must be a ghost. And so they're just looking and ghosts. Uh, they're all scared. They're diving for cover. They're just shaking at the knees, wetting their pants, drooling, jaws drop. They're all in shock. This is a big deal. They're terrified and frightened. <coughs> so, verse 38. And he said to them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Now, just to prove that Jesus was still Jesus, he knew what they were thinking. No one had said anything out loud, but they're scared and it's a ghost and they're frightened. And Jesus says, Why are you thinking like this? How does he know what we're thinking? Oh, it's Jesus. He's trying to prove to them that this is the same Jesus. Verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. That carries the idea of touch me and see. A spirit not, hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. He says, I'm real. Look, I'm real. You could touch me. I, you don't pass through me. I'm not a ghost. Verse 40. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy. Notice that phrase. They believed not for joy. So, okay, this might be Jesus. You know what they should have been saying? Forgive my voice. This is Jesus! This is wonderful! He did what he said he was... They should have been shouting for joy. They should have been excited. They should have been happy. But the Bible records, while they yet not believe for joy and wondered. They didn't have the intended response. The intended response is that our Savior is risen. This should be a celebration. This should be a big deal. But they're still in such a depression, mopey mode. Have you ever met someone or maybe you've been in a mood where you just want to be angry? Where you just want to be upset? Where you just want to have the mopes and no matter what people do, they smile in front of you. Get out of the way. I mean, here's Jesus and he can't even cheer them up. I mean, you've got to be a bad mood on purpose now. They're just determined to be sour grapes. I mean, here's Jesus. Touch me, handle me. Okay, I think you might be Jesus. This is the whole hope of everything. This is our blessed hope. This is our one that we've been waiting for. And they're not excited at all. Okay, maybe I might believe. So Jesus has to work with them some more. Again, he's trying to open up their understanding. He's trying to give them proof and evidence. He's trying to get them excited about this miracle that Jesus rose from the grave. Verse number 42, what does he do? Uh, verse 41, and while they yet not believed, while they believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. Why would Jesus eat with them? Because eating leaves evidence. They watched the honeycomb. <laughs> 
and they watch it disappear. They see crumbs coming off. He sets the honeycomb down and there's bite marks in it. This isn't a ghost that's eating it. It's a real person. He's trying to present himself in a way that they would understand he is Jesus risen from the dead. He opened up their understanding concerning the truth of the resurrection. May I say, the Bible places a big emphasis because again today, people still have a hard time believing in a resurrected Savior. There is a lot of people who may believe that Jesus is a good teacher, a good person, a good moral leader. They may even believe that he died for his cause and was a martyr. But for them to acknowledge that Jesus rose from the dead is a game changer and not something they're willing to concede. In fact, it is one of the basic tenets of true Christianity. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no biblical Christianity. This is one of the pillars that must be there. If you could uh, forgive the segue, but there were two men who... who uh, hated God. They were during the uh, great <coughs> uh, learning period, quote unquote, learning period of higher criticism. And both of them had been determined that they were going to disprove the Bible. And so each one of them said, listen, we're scholars. We're going to put ourselves to study. And what's going to happen is that one of them chose to study the life of the apostle Paul Believing that if he could discount Paul's life, that it wasn't historically true, the things that he went through and did did not truly happen, then biblical Christianity couldn't exist. The other one decided to tackle the resurrection. That if you could take away the resurrection, the biblical Christianity could not exist. So both of them decided they were going to take a whole year and just study. And they were going to meet together a year from that date and compare notes and, and see how each other had decided to destroy Christianity. And so the year came to pass and both of them came together and the first one said, listen, I've studied the life of the Apostle Paul. I've get in and out. I've gone through the ancient sources. I've done everything I can. And I have to tell you that everything that I believe is that Apostle Paul was true and I become a Christian. The other person said, I've done everything I could to study the resurrection and disprove it. And I want to tell you, I too have become a Christian because he rose from the dead. That they put themselves to the study. We know that Jesus did rise from the grave. And it's something that we can't back down from. Jesus did rise from the grave. That is our hope. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved two things. It proved first of all that Jesus was God. And that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. And because of the payment that was made. Full, free, and forever. That whosoever will. Whoever believes in him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. Because of the risen work. The finished work of Jesus Christ. This is a big deal. Without it, you just have a religious movement with a nice teacher who is a good man. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And so the Bible here doesn't just uh, period say Jesus rose from the grave, but it showed the historical account that people had a hard time believing and that God went through a long period or a lot of work to prove that he was risen. And it wasn't just hearsay, but he had proved himself, as the book of Acts says, with many infallible proofs. 
that he opened up their understanding concerning the resurrection. There's a second thing that we see that he opened up their understanding. He opened up their understanding concerning the scriptures. He opened up their understanding concerning the scriptures. Notice with me in verse number 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. And all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, this is interesting the way that this lines it up. Remember that the Hebrew Bible is our Old Testament, but their arrangement is different than ours. Theirs have three major sections within the Hebrew Bible. They have the law of Moses, they have the prophets, and then they have the writings, which would include Psalms. And so when Jesus is saying here, it is all three divisions of the Hebrew Old Testament. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. That he is saying all of the Old Testament scriptures speak of me. And he says, these are the things that must be fulfilled which were written in the Old Testament. So Jesus says that throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures speak of me. Verse 45. <clears throat> then opened he their understanding. Why? that they might understand the scriptures. Christ is the subject of all the Bible. The entire Bible speaks about Christ. We need understanding from God to see Christ in the Bible. God desires for his people to understand his word. Now there is a word that talks about this, this process of the Holy Spirit causing us to understand the scriptures and that word is called illumination. That when we're reading our Bible we don't need revelation. Revelation is God's process of writing the scriptures. There is no more scripture being revealed. So revelation is not what we need. What we need is illumination. The word illumination carries the idea to open the window, to let the light in. And what we need is to, op Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Give me understanding. Give me light that I may see clearly. That we need us open our eyes or let the Lord open our eyes. This is a spiritual work. We know there's a lot of people who read the Bible and it doesn't make sense to them. We know that it is a spiritual work. And that this is a work of God to open up our eyes that we may be seen. Now, illumination is not revelation. God has already revealed himself through the scriptures. He's already wrote the scripture. Illumination is not inspiration. Inspiration is God giving the scriptures through him and penman. No more scriptures being written. Illumination is just opening up the light and allowing us to understand and apply knowledge that is already given. God's Holy Spirit provides the light of understanding to a passage. You cannot separate illumination from the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit's job. So 
when we come to here, we see that it is God that gives us understanding in a passage. Whenever you come to the Bible reading and it's dry and it's just words on a page, may I say that what you need is illumination? You need God to open up your eyes. And every time that you ask God to open it up and you're seeking for him, you will get something out of the passage. Open my eyes. This is something we can ask the Holy Spirit. That if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Can give you that understanding. For people who are not saved, they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They're not going to understand the scriptures. And someone who's saved and who is not right with God. Because the Holy Spirit is not having the forefront. He is not going to be able to see the scriptures as what they say either. This is a work of the Holy Spirit that we have to be dependent upon him and that we must be thoroughly right with him in order to see this. But this is something God was able to do back then and able to do for us now that he opened up their understanding concerning the scriptures. Which brings us to one more thing. He opened their understanding concerning the power to be witnesses. He opened their understanding concerning the power to be witnesses. Notice with me verse 46 as he goes on. And said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again the third day. Notice this, thus it is written. Now as he was talking about before, that all the things of the Old Testament had to be fulfilled concerning Christ. That Jesus Christ was prophesied from the very book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, all the way throughout the Bible. So many prophecies concerning Christ. Whether it was Christ coming, whether it was birth, or his second coming in his millennial reign. There are so many prophecies concerning Christ, and Christ is the fulfillment of those things. Over and over, it gives the reference that Jesus Christ was going to suffer for our sins. Isaiah 53. You go to Psalm 22. You go to Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd. And Psalm 24, Jesus is our king. You have a nice uh, trilogy there of Psalms speaking of Christ as our shepherd, as our savior, and as our soon coming king. You go throughout all the Bible and you could find these things, whether it's a picture of Jesus Christ as he is... (laughs) as Abraham is going to Mount Moriah with his son Isaac. And Isaac turns around and says, here is the tools, here's the fire, here's everything else, but where is the ram? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a ram. And he did. We saw the picture of Isaac being 33 years old and his father being 133. And Isaac being laid down to the altar. Now may I put a idea here that if a 33-year-old man did not want to be put on the altar willingly, there's no way a 133-year-old man is going to make him. You have a son who trusted his father and willingly laid his life down on the altar, trusting in God's promises. You have pictures over and over throughout the Bible showing this idea that Jesus Christ was going to be sacrificed for our sins. This picture that God was going to provide a lamb for the uh, sacrifice of sins to pay for the sins. And the promise that Jesus Christ would not suffer his righteous one to deal 
to dwell in hell. And the Bible says that he wouldn't go to hell, that he would not suffer corruption. This idea of corruption. The Jewish people believe that after four days in the grave, your body would start to deteriorate. And so as long as you are risen from the grave before day three, your body would still be intact and not corrupted. And so that was a direct promise that God would make sure Jesus would rise on day three and not day four. There's so many specific things that all of these things had to be fulfilled. And he said, verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Why? And that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to pay the price of every sin for every sinner who would ever live. So that no one had to die and go to that awful place called hell. That every single person who ever lived or ever will live has the opportunity to go to heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because it was a free gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that we're supposed to let the whole world know that they don't have to go to hell. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to get saved. It is our responsibility to make sure that everyone had the opportunity to hear. Back in the 1990s, Coca-Cola Company decided they were going to put a campaign to put a can of Coke or a bottle of Coke in the hands of every single person in the world at that time. And after just a few short years, they accomplished their goal that everyone in the world had the opportunity to try Coca-Cola. That means everyone in the deepest, darkest forest and and jungles, in the people in the unknown regions, unreached regions, the places without cities. Coca-Cola got the job done. Now, don't we have something better than Coca-Cola? And Jesus is saying, we have the responsibility to give everyone the chance. Does that mean that everyone enjoyed Coca-Cola and loved Coca-Cola? No. But everyone had the opportunity to taste it. Our job is not to get everyone saved, but to give everyone the opportunity to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. That is our responsibility. That's what we're supposed to work to do. That's what Jesus died so everyone could hear. And verse 48, and ye are witnesses of these things. Remember, the noun must come before the verb. What do I mean by that? You must be a witness before you could go witnessing. You... Let's say that we had a car accident out here and all of us were in the building and we heard the crash and we all go rush out there to make sure everyone's all right. And the police come and they say, did anyone see what happened? And someone who was in the church building say, here, let me tell you what happened. The officer is going to say, did you see it? No, but I'm going to tell you what happened. He's going to set that person aside and look for someone who witnessed it. Someone who saw it, who experienced it. Well, Jesus is saying, you've experienced it. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then God's promises work. The Holy Spirit, who is God, now lives inside of you. You've been forgiven of all of your sins. All you're doing is telling people what happened to you. 
That you realize that you were a sinner. And because of your sins you offended a holy righteous God and you deserved hell. But someone told you that Jesus died for you. And you personally accepted Christ as your savior. And you have a story to tell. You are not just telling what you read in a book. You are explaining what was told to you. And that you saw God's promises and accepted them for yourself. And they can have the same result. They can accept Christ for their savior too. Ye are witnesses. But notice with me in verse 49 is now we step into it a little bit more. They were not expected to go witnessing alone. Verse 49. And behold, I send you the promise of my father upon you. But... So he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He talks about this in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. I'm sending my Holy Spirit upon you, this comforter. Behold, I send a promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from high. Now notice the instructions. They were not supposed to go at it alone and they were not supposed to go powerless. But there was instructions. They were to wait on God. Until. This is a big deal. Until you be endued with power from on high. You understand this until is a very big deal. He says, you need to wait until a definite, specific, identifiable event occurs. You see, when they were filled with God's spirit, they didn't guess, well, I don't know if I'm filled or not. Maybe, I don't know. What is it? It was a definite experience they knew. They knew they were filled with the Spirit. They knew they had God's power. It wasn't guessing or hoping or thinking. Kind of like salvation. Salvation, when we ask people, are you 100% sure if you die today to go to heaven? It's a yes or no question. Same thing, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you 100% sure you're filled with the Spirit? We're expecting a yes or no question. It's answer, yes or no. And God says, you wait until you have power. This was instructions. How was it that the disciples in 30 years after this event was able to give the gospel to every person in the known world? Because they had the power of God. And they waited on God until they had the power of God. Until they knew God's spirit was on them. Because they cannot do God's work. You cannot do God's work. Only God can do his work. But he could use you as an instrument. We have to wait until God. This is such an important principle of waiting on God. That God has great power. May I also say that waiting on God isn't just twiddling your thumbs and whatnot. The disciples were working and they were busy waiting, uh, waiting for God to work, but they were praying this time as God's instructions. They were waiting for God to go. They were making preparations. They were making sure they were right with God. This is an important idea that you're waiting for God. You're looking for it. Interesting enough, <laughs> When Moses is leading the children of Israel and he leads them to the Red Sea. Now, as they have the Red Sea on one side, Pharaoh's army coming on the other, that the people start saying, oh no, we're going to die in the wilderness. It'd be better for us to go back to the mud pits. And God says, be still and know that I am God. 
Normally we put a period and end the story there. But the next verse, God looks down at them and at Moses and says, Why are you waiting? I told you to go forward. The idea was is that waiting on God isn't sitting down staring, but we're still moving forward. Expecting God to do a work. I think we make such a mistake of praying for 30 seconds and going door knocking for an hour. And we would do a lot better by praying for an hour and going out for just a couple minutes. Because we tried so hard to do it in our own strength and our own power. Our big prayer request for our church now is discipleship. And may I say that most people may say, well, all right, my next step is discipleship. I'm just going to wait for them to come in the door. Well, no one's coming. May I say that the waiting on God involves praying? Mm -hmm. Involves truly praying? Passionate praying? Lord, this is my next step. I can't go forward until I have this. Lord, bring forward. Do you th how were the disciples praying in that upper room? Lord, if you get around getting your Holy Spirit, it'd be nice. You know, cool. And if not, I guess we'll just kind of hang out. You know, no big deal. That's not how they were praying at all. They were praying fervently, heatedly, passionately. Lord, we need your spirit. We want to go out. We want to go forward. But you told us not to go forward until we have this, Lord. Please, we want it now. We need it now. We need it now. We need it now. This is that waiting on God. Is not just say, all right, God, whenever you get around to it. That's not waiting on God. That's laziness. Waiting on God. Lord, this is what you've given us to do and I can't go without your power. I have to have you. I have to have what you have for me now. Lord, you have to provide. You have to work. You need to do something. You need to do something, Lord. Please do something. Lord, you promised. And I'm asking for your promise. This is what you told me to do in the next step. You've told us that I'm supposed to be witnesses to everyone. You told me I'm supposed to go out starting at Jerusalem. You told me to tell this to all nations. But you also said that I can't go until this happens. Lord, please, this is the next step. I need you to work. I need you to work. I want to go forward. I don't want to stay stagnant. I don't want to be here. To... Lord, please, I don't want to waste time. I need you. There was something different. He opened up their understanding concerning this idea to be witnesses. The power that comes <coughs> to be witnesses. <coughs> I know that we often put the emphasis <coughs> excuse me we often put the emphasis on the work. So many people need to get re reached. So many people need to be told. And we all rush out as if it's all dependent upon us. And it's not. God wants to use us as vessels. But he has to do the work. But we're 
in the way. Why was there a waiting period for the disciples? Because they were in the way. Remember, they just got through a period where they were doubting God. Remember that Jesus accused them of hardness of hearts. Where does hardness of hearts come from? It comes from building up disobedience to God's word. Why did it take time? Because they needed to get as thoroughly right as possible. They need to get thoroughly clean. Their hearts needed to be softened. They needed to be usable. They needed to be moldable. They needed to be makeable. They had to be at a place where God can use them with no resistance. What does it mean to be filled with a spirit? We often put that as a misnomer. <laughs> where <laughs> to be filled with a spirit... Let's imagine that I had a glove, an empty glove. And I set it here and I said, go change that tire. Can that glove go change a tire? No. But what would happen if I took that glove and I put it in my hand? Now that glove is empowered to do something it could not do on its own. It's now filled. And now something outside force other than itself gets the job done. In order for us to be usable, every part of that glove had to be flexible, had to be movable, had to do what it was told. Can you imagine if a couple fingers decided to do their own thing? It just doesn't work well. It had to be fully surrendered, fully malleable. That's that process. That's why they were waiting on God. It wasn't waiting for God to do something. He was already wanting to do something. He was waiting for them to be usable. But when they were usable, when they were moldable, when they were empty, when they were at the place where God could do them, then God filled them. And you know what happened? That same day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Was it worth them waiting for that time to see 3,000 people in one day get saved? Absolutely. Would that have happened if they didn't wait? Not at all. They had to wait on God. And God gave them, opened their understanding concerning the power to witness. This is how he ends the gospel record of Luke. In fact, all throughout the gospel record of Luke, you see Jesus who is pictured as the perfect man. And you know what the perfect man had to be done? Had to be filled with the Spirit and led with the Spirit. Three times in the gospel record of uh, Luke chapter 4 and just the first several verses, Jesus was filled led with the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. All throughout the gospel record of Luke, Jesus isn't asking us to do something he himself was not. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He expects us to be filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He expects us to be led with the Spirit. Why? Because we cannot do God's work. Only God can do his work. We are just the instruments. And so Jesus, as he finished up, the last thing he had to do was the most important. He opened up their understanding concerning the power to be a witness. 
Now we're thankful that God can open up our understanding with the importance of the resurrection. And we definitely need the power to have our understanding opening concerning the scriptures. We also need to be filled with God's spirit and have our understanding open with this concerning the power to be a witness. So what stage are you on? Maybe you don't know for sure Jesus is your savior. You know what you need? You need God to open up your understanding concerning the truth of the resurrection. Maybe you're at the stage where you're just learning. Maybe you're at the place where you're just trying to get your Bible reading in order. What you need is open up your understanding concerning the power of God to open up the scriptures to you, to open up your understanding in the scripture. And maybe you're at the place where you have a little bit of maturity and you need to take your place in the Great Commission, whether it's the reaching part or the teaching part. You cannot do God's work on your own. You need the understanding that God can fill you with his spirit and he will do the work. You just have to be usable and out of the way so God can do his own work. Whatever stage of Christianity you're currently on, we need our understanding opening, opened, that we can understand what he has for us. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.